Hey, if you uh, just want to give a shout out to the Alaska Project. I have uh, been there myself and can highly, highly recommend Kevin and all of those associated with this. So if the Holy Spirit is doing a little nudge in your heart there, then make sure you go by the table and have a conversation with Kevin, especially those of you who have a teaching degree of any sort, and you are highly employable, and I have to say they, um, they, they pay well in Alaska for real, and uh, it's a good way to make disciples and transform the nations. Anybody who's got any kind of degree, honestly, they can get emergency certification through teaching. It's just fantastic. I love it. And uh, I want to say, too, um, by the way, we're going we're gonna to start in Acts chapter 2. If you've got a Bible and you want to turn there, you can. Uh, last night, I... You know, I shared that story about my, my biological father, and I, I would like to say, um, for, for some of you, uh, you, you have parents that need Jesus. How many of you have a, have a parent, mom or dad, that needs the Lord? I, that, that event in, uh, in our family triggered something in my mom, who, who had said, you know, I, we weren't Christians at that time at all third generation um, um, PK when I say PK I mean pagan kid you know what I'm saying <laughs> we weren't church goers at all and uh, so my mom was not a believer and um, had held some real animosity and unforgiveness in her heart that had been suppressed for a long long time that, that event kind of triggered something inside of her and things got worse before they got better but all that to say that um, I, I was able to baptize both my mom and when I say my dad now, what I mean is my stepdad, for clarification, the man who adopted me. It wasn't a quick or instantaneous process, but I want to just want to speak hope to some of you and not leave that um, unsaid. And in fact, even if uh, if I can help you during conversation, sometime between sessions or something like that, give you some principles as to how to interact with your parents who need Jesus. It's a long game, and God is patient. God is patient. And uh, what God did in my family, was, it was absolutely miraculous, supernatural, and, um, and it, it's beautiful. It's wonderful now. We just celebrate great Christmas, and we're reading the Christmas story together, you know, praying together, worshiping together, and, um, and it's, it's powerful. God wants to do something in your family that's, that, that blow your mind. And so um, with, that, with that said, I just wanted to give hope for some of you that are in that situation that you can influence your family. And we've seen it, we've seen it not just in my family, but hundreds and hundreds of times. A university student gets right with God, goes all in with Jesus, and, and man, that not only um, works with your kids and their kids eventually, but also with your parents. It, it can work that way, so be encouraged. Right on. Where have we been? Where are we going? Here's what's happening. Last night, we talked about God's got a dream for us, and it's, it's more about who we're becoming than necessarily what we're doing. Although it's already been said from like today that whatever God does in me, he does want to do through me. So eventually that will lead to some incredible stuff that he's going to do through you and adventures that will blow your mind. You can't even begin to imagine it now, but the important thing right now is who are we becoming? And I told you, for me, I'm 51 years old, and I'm not actually what God has dreamt I can become yet. My heart's not quite there. I need some, I need some heart work, okay? I'm not what I was, thank God, right? But I'm not quite there. And so what I've got to do is yield my heart to him. We said very clearly and 
believe that. You've got to be born again. You can't do this yourself. You can't fix your own heart. Jesus has got to come in and make a new creation inside of you. That's the starting point. But then he gives us the dignity of cooperating with this process of transformation. Isn't that cool? He doesn't just zap you. Some of you think, what if he just zap me? Fix me. Like, you know, just like get rid of all my insecurities and my fears and my weirdnesses and my sins. How many of you think that would be cool? Just got to zap me. You know, we call that spontaneous human combustion. <laughs> you can just dust. Okay? He's, isn't it wonderful? He's gentle with you. And he takes you step by step by step by step and he forms you like Jeremiah you know, when he went to the potter's house forming that clay. And he, he's just patient. If you'll stay soft, he can form you. Nothing is irredeemable in your life if you stay soft. And he can, he can just form your heart. So this is what we're saying. We're, we're on this journey of spiritual formation. It's about character development. And one of these days, when we are victorious, when we overcome, we're all going to be around the throne representing that distinct and peculiar image of God that he placed in our hearts for us to become, worshiping our king around the throne. And it's going to be glorious. You don't want to miss it. Amen. That should have been a bigger amen. You don't want to miss that. For real. For real. So this is where we're going. And um, how, do, you know, how do we get there? Mary started us on a journey yesterday. I want to continue a little bit today by thinking again about our, I'm going to think about our relationship with God. And then tonight we'll talk a little bit about our relationships with one another. And then tomorrow night we'll talk about our relationships with this lost world that he gave himself. Four. So with that said, in Acts chapter 2, we'll start with this. In verse 36, Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. A little context here. It's David, Peter's preaching to Israel, day of Pentecost, and he's, he's saying... You know, we, we killed Jesus with our sins, so he's calling us out on this. But he's saying, God, you, you need to be sure of this. God has made this Jesus both, that's a key word, both Lord and Christ. And the word Christ, if you're not really that familiar with that word, that meant the expected one to the Israel, the Jewish nation. They were the long-awaited deliverer and messiah. For us, the, probably the um, easier translated word would be Savior. So we could say it this way, uh, to put it in our context. Peter would say to us today, Therefore, let all of Chi Alpha know that God has made this Jesus, who, who we crucified with our sins, God has made Jesus both Lord and Savior. He's both Lord and Savior. Not just one or the other, but he's both. He's Lord and He's Savior. And then in Romans 10 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So we're going to kind of dive into this word Lord a little bit, try to get our minds and our hearts wrapped around this. Um, there's a, when we were raising our kids, we um, kind of limited their television intake. And, but what, what, one thing we did do as a family is we watched old, like, black and white uh, sitcoms. Uh, I probably don't know any of this stuff, like Leave it to Beaver, or, or Father Knows Best, or any of these like really old, sometimes we'd even go so far as it was a little risque, you know what I mean, but Gunsmoke, you know, because it was like 
watch these old black and white shows. I love Lucy, that sort of stuff. And, and um, there's an old Dick Van Dyke episode, you probably know, know him, but he was like slapstick comedy, like Jim Carrey before Jim Carrey kind of thing. And super funny stuff. And there's there's one episode where um, he, he, he sends off for some temp help to the temp agency to come and work with him, send somebody to come work with him. And the, the comedy is because he actually thinks he's ordering a personal assistant. But when the personal assistant comes, she thinks that she's actually there to, to be his like coach to get him in shape. And so you know, he's, he's like, you're going to do my bidding. And she's like, no, you're going to do my bidding. And so it's, it gets kind of funny because, you know, he's like trying to get coffee and, uh, you know, extra sugar and cream. And she's like, you know, yanking it out of his hand and saying, drop down and do 20 push-ups, you know. And so it kind of goes back and forth like this. And it, it turns into a really funny skit. And it, it would be funny except for it, it, it seems to me like in the church that when, when you got saved, did you think you were getting a personal assistant? Or a Lord? Like, did you think Jesus was going to come around to kind of like do our bidding? Or are we are we going to be like doing his bidding? And this is this is really important for us to think about because let all of Kaiapha know that God has made this Jesus who we crucified not just Savior, but both Lord and Savior. Do you ever notice that Jesus kind of acts like he's God or something? <laughs> Without, read the story, it's awesome. Without any arrogance or any pride, Jesus just takes control wherever he goes. He walks into the temple and he, he says, this is my father's house. And um, this corruption ought not to be here. So he just starts turning over tables and he starts driving up people that are ripping people off. And he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. So get out there. Look, who gave you authority to do this? In other words, like, you think you're God or something? Yes, he thinks he's God. Or one of my favorites is he, you know, he, when he sees Zacchaeus, he, he doesn't um, he doesn't do the southern hospitality thing like Zacchaeus. Uh, you got any lunch plans? And, you know, he's not fishing for an invitation. Maybe Zacchaeus would invite him into his house. What does Jesus say? He says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm coming to lunch with you today. And by the way, I'm bringing my twelve disciples. Can you imagine when uh, when Zacchaeus walks up with thirteen lunch guests? What Mrs. Zacchaeus is thinking? <laughs> Pulls him aside and says, what, what are you doing? Well, he didn't ask. He just told me he was coming. <laughs> I have a friend who went to seminary, and I'm a little jealous about that because I, I never got to go to seminary. And he, he said, don't, don't worry about it. I can, I can sum up four years of studies, $100,000 worth of intensive studies and books, I can sum it up in basically one big idea, one thought. You don't have to go. You don't have to go to seminary. How many, how many would like to know what the summary is? Here's what it is. This is basically the Bible in a nutshell is God is God and I am not. And neither are you. God is God and I am not. And this is the thing. He's very comfortable being God. 
Like, I don't know, if, did you ever get a new job and you kind of freak out for the first few days? You know, like, you're, you're like, you don't know how to work the fryer for the, those curly fries, you know what I mean? It's like kind of scary. <laughs> Jesus has never been uncertain about any of his work, okay? He's never wrung his hands. He, he, he's never wondering what to do next. He never needs to ask for advice. He's actually really comfortably being got in. Nobody voted him in, and nobody can vote him out. He's what we call the integration point. He is the center. Everything revolves around him. There was a day, scientifically, when we believed that, you know, that the earth was the center of our solar system and that everything revolved around us, the sun revolved around us. I mean, we're grateful that's not true because we would survive if that's true. The reality is there's a greater something that's the center than us. And for a lot of Christians, we really, we really believe that. We just, we really think that everything revolves around us and that we're the center. But it's just biblically not true. He's the center, and we revolve around him. Now, G.K. Chesterton said it this way. He said, "What a pathetic and small world it must be if you are the king of it, right? What kind of kingdom could I rule? But oh, how much larger and grander could my world become if I let him be the king?" And I'm his subject. So this is this is awesome. Have you, do you know what a green card wedding is? The risk of offending somebody. I want to tell a story. We had a gal in Kayapa at San Jose State University, a small group leader, a beautiful gal, who was working um, her way without much help from her parents through college and incurring a lot of debt, but also working very hard. Uh, her job. One of her jobs was at one of the local ethnic food restaurants. And at some point, her boss came to her and said, hey, I understand you have college debt, and, um, and it was about, at that time, it was about $50,000 in, in debt. She's, he said, I understand you have college debt, about $50,000, and I, I'd like to help you be free from that debt because I have a cousin back home who wants to come to the U.S., and if you will marry him, then he can come. And we'll, we'll put you up in, a, in, a, in an apartment. You don't even, you know, no funny business. We'll put you up in a two-bedroom apartment. And you just have to stay married for two years so he can get his green card. And then, you know, you guys can divorce and go your separate ways. And you, you'll be debt-free with college. I'm not making this up. It's a true story. Uh, ladies, how does that make you feel? You're looking at me like, I didn't make this offer. I'm just reporting. Okay? <laughs> you should see some of the stairs right now. How many of you are going to go on a mission trip this year? Would like to go on a mission trip sometime in your of career? Yeah, everybody should. Maybe it'll be Alaska, right? Can you, can you imagine? So say, say, for example, just think with me for a minute, ladies. Say, say you go on a mission trip and you go down. Like, uh, I have a lot of friends in, in Chile, you know what I mean? It's a beautiful land. If you like mountains, you like ocean. Chile is incredible. So say you go to Chile, and you're there for like three weeks, and you're out ministering, and, and you've got some locals that are that are ministering with you and some of the churches. And um, say, say you start to um, fall in love with one of these local guys who is um, coming, you know, Don Juan Rico Suave, that lover. And he's gorgeous, like he's handsome, you know what I'm saying? Like he's got a big hairy chest and that gold cross, and he's like <laughs> brown eyes. 
And, and so you're working together, and um, you're, you're starting to be Twitter dated. And just it's a couple of it's a couple of weeks, and just before you get on the plane to come back home, he like he says, "Wait a minute," and he drops to his knees, and he says, "Will you marry me?" Is that Italian? I don't know what that was. That was nothing. I'm terrible. And. And, and your heart is thumping through your chest, and he says, "But wait a minute! I, before you say yes or no, let me let me be really honest with you. I I don't really love you, and I don't find you very attractive, and I certainly don't want to spend the rest of my life with you. I just simply want a ticket to America." Now, ladies, how does that make you feel? All right, so let me ask you this question. How do you think God feels? You know, people in churches and Christians all around the world, they don't really love him. They don't find his character or personality attractive, and they don't really want to be with him forever. All they really want is a ticket to heaven. And then we preachers kind of accentuate all this as if, you know, we're selling the gospel as a, a ticket to heaven. You know, hey, you want a ticket to heaven? Then, you know, and, and it depends on what kind of church you come from, how we sell the ticket, because sometimes it's about you had to close your eyes, you know, or lift your hand, or come to the front, or shake the preacher's hand, or get water baptized, or confirmation, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like, like you could somehow get a ticket to heaven. And then it gets even funnier because some people say you can lose your ticket and other people say once you got it, you can never lose your ticket. And it's also <laughs> stupid because salvation is not a ticket. Salvation is a person and his name is Jesus. Amen. Yeah. You can't fit him in your wallet. Whoever has the son has life. If you don't have the son, you don't have any life. And what I'm trying to say is if you have the son, here's what you have. You have both Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, but both Lord and Savior. Why is this so important? Because you can't separate who he is from what he does. He actually is God. He's both Lord and Savior. This word Lord, kurios, actually it, it means master. It means controller. It, it means commander. And he absolutely is father. And he absolutely is friend. He's also king. And so we're friends, but when he walks in the room, you kneel because he's the king. You take off your shoes because this is holy ground. He is Lord. And this is the word that an employee would use of his boss, who's, you know, you're, when he said jump, you say how high, right? This is, this is, he's Lord. It's also the word that a soldier would use for his emperor or commander in chief. And what I want you to see is this is both a title and a function. Uh, so what I mean by that is he's not only called Lord, he actually does Lord. He's not only called commander in chief, but he actually does command. The word, the prophetic word that came forth was, don't just say you love me. The scripture says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. 
And Jesus does command without any arrogance or any pride. He, he's, he's God. Now, Oswald Chambers said this. God created Adam to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moved upon the earth. That's Genesis 1.28. God created us to have dominion over everything except there's one thing that Adam was not to have dominion over. Do you, do you know what that was? Himself. Think about it. Like we're to rule and reign over everything except ourselves. God was to have dominion over Adam. Wow. And Adam was to partake, remember where we're going with this, in his own development from innocence to holiness by obeying God's rule over him, not by following his own wisdom. The source of growth in Adam was his obedience to God. Now, the problem here is a lot of people want a savior, but not a commander. A lot of people want the Christ, but not the Lord. But God has made Jesus both. You can't have one without the other. You can't separate the person from the function. So what I mean by that is you can't follow Christ with a list of conditions. You can't follow him as long as. I'll follow you, Jesus, if, or, or first let me, if you know the stories from the scripture, or I'll follow you as long as it doesn't interfere with my career, or as long as I understand your commands, or as long as they make sense to me. Yeah. And man, we could go through a lot of, for time's sake, we won't, we won't do much, but John chapter 6 is, is really powerful because Jesus is teaching on covenant to a group of people, a large group of people, and that's where he says, you've got to eat of my flesh and you've got to drink of my blood. And theologically, I'm not going to take the time to jump into all of that. I'll just tell you that the people who heard him actually understood what he was saying about covenant. He was teaching and preaching all in, all or nothing. And they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? They didn't mean it was hard to understand. For them, it wasn't hard to understand. They meant it's hard to follow and at that point, it said that many turned away. That many walked away from him. Remember Mary's story yesterday? That's what was going on. They were just walking away from Jesus. And what was what's such a trip is the apostles, his 12 disciples, you know, they were celebrating the big crowd, and then all of a sudden the crowd is thinning, and so they come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, I'm paraphrasing now, but bro, like, you're running people off with this, like, all or nothing thing. Like, can't you, like, tone it down a little bit, Jesus? And do you remember what Jesus said to them? What, he said to Peter, do you, do you want to leave too? And Peter was brilliant. This is one of his brilliant moments. <laughs> he said, Lord, where could we go? You're the only one who has the words of life. In other words, you're God, and I'm not. Jesus was okay with sifting the crowds, even though we'll talk about it tomorrow, that his heart was breaking over the lost, and he came to seek and save the lost. But he wasn't going to lower the standard. There's another incident, we call it the rich young ruler incident, that's a pretty powerful illustration of the same principle. And you remember this young man was asking, "How? what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus walked through some, there's a good dialogue there, you, you, you can look into it, but when Jesus kind of put his finger on the guy's idol. He said, what you need to do is sell everything you have. Give it away to the poor and then 
come and follow me. He was touching on that thing that was like the center of this man's life and identity and asked him to sacrifice that. The, it, it says, the, the scripture says he walked away, the young man walked away sad because he had great wealth. And what's beautiful is the scripture actually says too, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus wasn't mad at this guy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And when Jesus loved somebody, it's all in love. He proved that on the cross, right? And he was asking for a reciprocation of all in love, but he wouldn't do it. The guy walked away sad. We don't know his final history, but what I want to tell you is that Jesus didn't, when the guy walked away, Jesus didn't say, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Pardon me. Did I say sell everything? Well, how about 80%? Give away 80%. Or, or is that too much? Okay, well, how about how about 60%? You see what I'm saying? Jesus didn't lower the standard. He said, you gotta, you gotta give it all. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Savior, and it's an all or none kind of thing. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the hardest part of that commandment? Heart, soul, mind, strength. Actually, the hardest part, I'm tricking you, is this little word, all. <laughs> That's the hardest part, isn't it? Not 90%, but 100%. Um, suppose, you know, when, when I got married, I, uh, I told you yesterday, Mary and I have been married 29 years, and uh, best friends for three years before that. And I actually, I did drop to my knee. And ask her to marry me in song. I serenaded her <laughs> in a little song that I wrote. I didn't actually. I, I borrowed the music and changed the words. I don't think that. I think it's called plagiarism. Um, <laughs> but I did. I'm a romantic by nature. You didn't know that. And uh, one of these days, when I know you better, I'll sing it for you. <laughs> but it's not today. And. And she said, yes. And um, that was, by the way, it seems like very significant things happen on Thursdays, which is our Chi Alpha Large Group Service Day. That was on our way to, um, to church, to Chi Alpha Large Group, and we got to celebrate with everybody. And suppose that I would have dropped to my knee and, and said, will you marry me? And then she looked at me and she said, you know what? I, I will. I, I, I'd love to marry you as a person, but I don't want to have anything to do with you as a minister. Like that, you know, like, I, I kind of like you, but all that stuff you do, I'm, I'm not sure I want to participate with that. And you see the position that I'm in. Can, can I marry her and forsake my function and my calling? You, you see what I'm saying? If, if she marries me, she gets both, the man and the minister, and of course she She's like more all in with Jesus and always has been than I've been. I'm trying to catch her, you know what I'm saying? So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when you when you follow Jesus, you get both the Lord and the Savior. I'm thinking about just trying to illustrate this, help us understand this. If you maybe say you were in great financial need and you had the the bright idea to just kind of like go investigate um, the Marines recruiting office. And so you, you kind of stumble into a recruiting office 
something like that, and you see, and you know, there's a very nice man or woman there behind the desk that shows you pictures of groups of friends having fun around the world, and and uh, and, and there's a promise of you know three square meals a day, and we'll help you pay for your college, and it's 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 just gonna you're gonna have wonderful adventures, and all that's true. So you sign up, and, and they give you a bed and three hot meals, and then what happens at 6 a.m. when a bugle goes off in your face and there's a drill sergeant in your face yelling at you to get up and to do 200 push-ups and run six miles? And you say, well, wait a minute. I, I just wanted to make some friends and have some adventures. But what are they going to say? No, you're in the army now. And you're going to do as you're told. And now, think about how many times in the New Testament we're called Christian soldiers. All right. It's real. So Jesus says, why do you call me Lord? In Luke chapter 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You, you, you can't. If you're going to have Savior, you've got to have him as Lord. So, we're going to start moving towards the close here, I promise. But I want to, I just want to make sure we understand this. Again, we're talking about becoming God's dream for our life. And right now we're talking about how do we relate to God? How do we relate to him? I want to tell you, he's God. He's God. He's our friend, but he's also God. So with commandments or rules, anytime there's a, when we talk about the Ten Commandments or any of the commands of Jesus in the New Testament, you, when you're considering the command, you have to do two things. The first thing is you have to decide your relationship to the rule itself. In other words, does this commandment make sense? This is what you're doing in your heart anytime you read a rule. Does this make sense to me? This rule my mom said, this, this, this makes sense to me. And if it makes sense to you, then it's easy to obey, right? You're like, I, okay, mom says I shouldn't stick my tongue on that frozen light bulb outside in the middle of dinner because I don't want somebody to have to shave my tongue off. So I, that makes sense to me. I think I will obey that commandment. But the second thing you have to do is you have to decide not just your relationship to the rule or your understanding of the rule or your appreciation of the rule, but your relationship to the rule maker, the rule giver. And this is especially pertinent when you don't understand or you don't like the commandment. So yeah, I don't want to stick my tongue on that frozen pole, but when, when the Bible says that sex outside of marriage is wrong, and my, my flesh and my passions are wanting to do something different, you see, now I've got to understand my relationship to the rule maker. Is he my personal assistant and advisor, or is he God? Does he know what he's doing, and should I trust him, and should I obey him, whether it makes sense or not? All right, with that said, making the point there. What, what, what actually gives God the right to rule our lives? My, my friend Winky Bratton was actually teaching at a conference for the university students and, and he was teaching along these lines of lordship and somebody in the back during Q&A said why should we give our lives to God? Why should we follow Jesus as though he's God? And, and Winky said to him, well, I opened options. What do you have in mind? And he said, well, Kid said, well, why didn't everybody, why didn't everybody listen to me and follow me? Why can't I be God? And Winky said, that's easy. 
You're not good enough or smart enough. Sit down. <laughs> so it's a good question, though, right? Why, why actually should we give our lives 100% to God? What gives him the right to be God? Well, you know, we could talk about the fact that he's a creator. He did, he did make you, so he kind of owns you and me because he made us, right? We mentioned that yesterday that, uh, you know, for me, 51 years ago, he knit me together in my mother's womb. He formed me. He breathed life into me. He imparted his image to me. Like, I owe my existence to him. But you'd say, some, some would say, well, that's not my choice. Nonetheless, he made you. There's this, there's this great story in the Bible, Matthew chapter 22, when the religious leaders are trying to trick Jesus, and they're trying to trap him, and so they're like, Master, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And what they're trying to do is they're trying to get him in trouble, because if they don't pay taxes, then Rome is going to come down on him. He says, yeah, yeah, give all your money to, to Rome, then the Jewish people are going to think he's a traitor, so they think it's a trap, but what, you remember what Jesus did? He said, anybody got a coin? Like, give me that coin. And so they throw him the coin, he holds it up, and he says, whose inscription is on this? It'd be like if I asked for a dollar, and I held it up, and I said, whose picture is on this dollar? And he said, George Washington. So everybody said, oh, that's Caesar's. The Emperor of Rome, that's Caesar's inscription. So he throws it back to him, and he says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And give to God what's God's. What, what does that mean? Well, on the coin, the image of Caesar was stamped. Whose image is stamped on your heart? So, yeah, give Caesar your money, but give God your heart. Because he made you. And he put his image in you. So he's creator. He's also, we're, we're saying what gives God the right to rule. He's, he's creator. He's also redeemer. So not only did he make us, but he bought us. Again, it's kind of like double thing, you know what I'm saying? Remember the little story about the boy who lost his boat and he had to buy it back in a pawn shop? I don't know if you remember this happy story, but. It's, it's cute. We won't say it. But not only did he make us, but he bought us. You weren't redeemed with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Jesus, is what Peter says. Not silver and gold, but with the blood of Christ. So he, he bought us back. But honestly, that's not what I want to say to you. What I want to say to you, honestly, is what gives God the right to rule is simply this. He's the only one that's qualified. You see, he's actually the only one that's qualified. This became so um, apparent to me one time. I was uh, doing a camping trip with a bunch of dudes from Chi Alpha, and I didn't even actually plan the trip. It was a, like a, a couple of resource groups or small groups got together, and last minute they said, Eli, why don't you come camping with us? So we, we went up to Arkansas. Some of you are from Arkansas. Arkansas is beautiful. Great camping in Arkansas. We were going to run the Buffalo River area, so it was a long trip. So I, I jumped in kind of last minute. But what was weird is even though I didn't plan the trip, I found myself like in charge. I didn't mean to be in charge, but everybody's looking to me like, when do we stop? And how do we get there? Who's going to pay for this? You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so suddenly I'm in charge, you know, so I, I, I guess I got to be in charge. So I, I do my thing until we get to the campsites. And then we're going to rappel off of this cliff, giant cliff. And what was interesting is nobody had to say anything, but suddenly everybody, all the dudes, without anybody saying anything, they quit looking to me to leave, and they looked to my friend Johnny Hawk. Because everybody intuitively knew 
that I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm not qualified here. He's the one that's qualified. And so everybody looks at him. If you're going to trust your life to something, you better, you better know he knows how to tie the knot. See what I'm saying? Nobody had to say a word. Intuitively, we knew to trust the one most qualified. If, if this were a big, giant airplane right now, and we're flying through the middle of the air, and, and you know, the pilot keels over with a heart attack, I don't care how much of a control freak you are, you don't want to sit in that pilot seat unless you've been trained, right? Like, you might be a control freak, but you, you're, you're going to ask, does anybody know how to fly this plane? Has anybody ever flown a plane? Has anybody ever played a video game with planes involved? Like, who can land this plane? Because the risks are so high. Brain surgery? Like, you may love me and trust me, but I drink a lot of coffee and I promise you, you don't want me, you don't want me doing that stuff, all right? You're gonna look around, because you're, you're gonna wanna know who is the most qualified. Now, when it comes to ruling and reigning in your life, who's the most qualified? Mm, think about it. For you to run your life, let me tell you something, for you to run your life is as ludicrous as you've given the keys of the family suburban to your three-year-old little sister. She's not going to make it out of the parking lot before she drives into a ditch. Or worse, a head-on collision on Highway 80 out here. You understand what I'm saying? And that's the level of qualification that you and I have compared to him to run and rule our life. Now, when I say who's qualified, I'm saying two things. In competency and also in character. He's not just qualified because he's smart. But you hear what my friend Winky said? Sit down, son. You're not smart enough and you're not good enough. Qualified in competency. So not only is God powerful and wise, but in character, he's good and he's loving. And you can trust him. Maybe um, Nick or Nick, if you invited others, maybe just to help on the keys as we kind of wrap this up. You ever had a um, you ever had a friend that's just like good at everything? One of those people. Some of you are thinking I'm that friend. I'm good at everything. <laughs> I've got a couple of those friends. They, they really are. They're just good at everything. Awesome, talented people, but just like imagine with me like a superhero friend. What if you what if you had a friend who never ever led you astray? What if you had a friend who always knew what to do in any and every situation? He or she had the answer to every problem you ever faced. And what if that friend also had the resources, all the resources, the money, the tools, the time to build anything that you might need? What if you had a friend who was perfectly competent in all areas of life? But they were also the kind of friend you could trust with anything. 
money, your girlfriend, boyfriend, your car, your secrets. Because this friend was never, ever selfish. And he always had your best interest in mind. What if there was a friend like that? Can I tell you there is a friend like that? His name is Jesus. The Bible says he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's perfect in both competence and in character. He's perfect in absolute purity, infinite wisdom, perfect love, unrelentingly committed to our highest good. He's not only our commander, he's also our father and our best friend. He loves us more than we could ever love ourselves. He cares about our future more than we do. He never manipulates, he never deceives, he always tells the truth. He never withholds any good thing, unless, of course, it's to give something actually better. We'd be absolutely foolish not to let him take control of our lives. That's Jesus, both Lord and Savior. That's who he is. So what's the test, Eli? The prophetic word that came forth earlier kind of stole my thunder there because the test, guess what? It's obedience. It's obedience not just when you understand but when you don't understand. That's the test. I had this this pit bull dog that was stone deaf since she was born. Uh, She was awesome. Her name is Lacey. She was a snake hunter. That dog killed her. Hundred snakes in her life, got bit every time. It's so funny. <laughs> Big white pit bull. She got. She was pretty obedient, but she was deaf. So we had to. We kind of. I don't know sign language, but we kind of created sign language for her. Just communication between us. And she knew calm. She knew stay and sit and things like that. But she kind of learned that because she couldn't hear, she didn't have to obey me when she wasn't looking at me. <laughs> Like get out in the yard. The reason I mention the snakes is because that kind of like one of the things that when she was doing something like that, she'd like act like she couldn't see me. Now I know I happen to know the dogs have incredible peripheral vision. Like they can see really well. And I I would be, you know, like trying to get her attention with my hand signals, and she'd like kind of turn away from me. <laughs> and like look the other way. And so I'd walk around like over here. Come on. Kind of like keep turning away from me. Acting like she couldn't see me. Did you ever act like you didn't hear the Holy Spirit talk to you? Like, oh, I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that. Once you pray before you go to bed, oh, I didn't hear that. Why don't you, why don't you end this thing? Why don't you start that thing? Why don't you? Sometimes you think, man, I wish God would speak to me. It's not always the case, but oftentimes it's the case. God's still waiting for us to be obedient to what He told us last before. He's going to give us something. Obedience to previous revelations, the prerequisite to further revelation. We're going to continue to walk with God and get closer to Him. Hearts be molded into that beautiful thing that He has dreamt for our life. We've got to obey Him even when we don't understand. Obedience.
test. What's obedience? We taught our kids this, and we taught thousands of people at San Houston Kyle that obedience is doing exactly what I'm told to do and doing it quickly because I love you. So if you ask my kids like right now, what is what is obedience? exactly what I'm told to do, doing it quickly because I love you. And ask any missionary in that same say, what is obedience? They say, doing exactly what I'm told to do and doing it quickly because I love you. What's God speaking to you? Is he Lord? He is Lord. But is he Lord of your life? What I'd like to do for the next couple of minutes, we've got a couple of minutes before lunch, I'd like for us just to take a few minutes. The keys are just going to play. We're not going to sing. And uh, the musicians will just be playing and inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you journal or not. But I would, man, I'd encourage you. Thinking over these last two sessions about what God thinks about us and how we relate to him. Before we move on, we're going to have mega sessions, we're going to have breakouts tomorrow, we're going to have sessions tonight, more sessions tomorrow. And stuff's going to get convoluted in your mind. If God's talking to you about something, and I guarantee He's trying to, it'd be really good to write it down. And what I mean is an action step. Some of you have, a, there was something that happened in your heart yesterday when Mary's talking about reading the Word or prayer or these action steps. You need to write that down. Maybe in, in this next few moments, we can just kind of quiet before the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything that you'd like for me to do that I could obey you and I'm not going to pretend like I haven't heard you? Is there anything that you've spoken to me in the past that I've neglected? I really encourage you to write that down. And if the Lord gives you something to obey, do it quickly because you love him. Do it quickly because you love him. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to examine us. The psalmist said, search me and know my heart, O God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So Lord, we open our hearts to you. We don't want to we don't want to take it to heaven. We want you. You're the perfect one. You're the beautiful one. You're the wise one and you're the good one. You have every right to rule and reign our lives. You're the only one that's qualified. Lord, for some of us today, we've been trying to be in the driver's seat. We need to give you the keys. We trust you. So we yield that to you. Lord, if you want to speak to us about something specific, we're just going to be quiet before you right now and give you a chance to speak to us. If there's something we can do for you or your kingdom, if there's something that we've neglected to do, yeah. Holy Spirit, so